welcome. What was that? You're welcome. With Hillary Rushford. Say it again. You're welcome. In advance. Hi, friend. First off, I just want to give a quick personal shout out and thank you to Katie Rotillo, Katie Soy, Sue Smith, and Caroline in Carolina. All y'all left reviews lately, and it just means so much. The episode specifically over the last month took so many hours, and I don't do commercials on this podcast. It's a free teaching, and out of the thousands and thousands and thousands of people that listened, the fact that a few people took the time to let me know they got something out of it, I really appreciate. I read them this morning, and it just meant so much to me. And what also means so much to me is I love that this podcast is in real time. I have colleagues that batch their podcasts. They'll record six months at a time, and I have mad respect for that and absolutely zero shade that that is what works for them. But I personally love that this show is not a monologue, it's a dialogue. Because I talk to you, and then throughout the week, you talk back. You leave comments under my Instagram posts, and we talk in Instagram stories, and I pop up Q&A boxes, and we hang out in the garden party. And so the last... three parts of the podcast series, I recorded them a week at a time so that I could hear from you, hear your questions, your energy, the vibe as we were moving along. And that's how, for example, it was y'all asking, that's why we created the page at hillaryrushford.com slash bookstory that has all three podcast episodes because you were saying, I want to share this with friends. Do I send them to the first episode, the third episode? Not everybody listens on the same podcast player. So You asked, we created that, and today's episode is also one you asked for. A lot of you said, I feel like we need a part four. Um, I have some questions. I realized there were some loose threads that I didn't tie up for y'all, so I put a Q&A box in stories, and I positioned this as a bonus episode this week because as a teacher, my work in the world is about you and your story. I'm only sharing my story if it supports your story 97% of the time. Sometimes I'm going to share it because that's what friends do back and forth and that's how we build relationship. But when I started this book series, I felt like this story is really about me, but, but I'm having to share it with you so that we can rebuild this trust bridge because you've been asking for... A, a year at this point, where is the book? And I haven't been answering you. And that is is going to erode trust. Turns out, as I shared on last week's episode, that It was a lot more about you and your own experiences than I realized. And it also was about you because some of you have been waiting years and years for the teaching of what makes women feel beautiful. And you wanted to know when you were going to get that teaching. You were excited for it and you wanted to hear. But I also have so much more teaching to support you in your growth that I want to move on to for June and the summer series. So I didn't want to take a fourth week to have it be about the book. And so instead, I just thought I'll give you two episodes this week. And today we will do a rapid fire Q&A thanks to what y'all submitted on stories. So the majority of questions were along the lines of how did the legal part end? How did I fight back and win? Did I win the lawsuit? And so I think I didn't quite put a bow on that part or explain that part really well. There was no lawsuit. I would say there was a legal negotiation. I fought back because I got a lawyer and I didn't cave. And I want to say here because there have been a lot of other times in my business where energetically I was like, 
I want to fight this. I know that I'm right. I think that I would win. And I've been advised not to do that because it takes so much time, money, and energy, and you aren't guaranteed that you will win. And so if it's not really make or break, if it's more about your ego, if it's more about right or wrong, a lot of times it is not worth it to pursue that. And I just want to say that for anyone who has chosen not to pursue something or is in a situation in the future that I don't think it's about having more chutzpah and gumption to go for it. I really did feel like my business might be on the line, that there was so much money that had been lost in pursuing this and then grieving this. There was so much momentum lost. I paused the podcast and Instagram because I was doing this really complex book with a lot of nuance and layers and research while running my business, serving hundreds of students I already had. So the free part of of what I teach on Instagram and the podcast, I, I couldn't come up, couldn't keep up with. And so that means that a lot of this audience is, is, is gone. They stopped hearing from me. They forgot about me. And so then on top of that, there was the trust gap of what Hillary, why aren't you answering our question? We keep asking what's up with the book and you're not saying anything like, did, I don't know. Can we not, can we not trust you? Are you, do you not follow through with your word? Are you not that responsible? Whatever. So I felt like out of those, the only one that I could control was the trust gap. I, I can't get back the money. I can't get back the momentum. But the trust, I haven't lost yet. It's on the cusp. But I can earn, not even earn that back because I hadn't done anything to, to lose it, but I can make sure I don't lose that if I fight for it. And that's why it felt so important to me. So the legal negotiation that took six months was just about, could I speak anonymously? Could I, what became, record that podcast? So I finally heard that December 16. My birthday is December 17. I was in Paris. I was in our hotel room. I opened up an email from our lawyer that it was done. And it was just so sad. I mean, there was no sense of victory or freedom or I won. Like I I lost. Everyone lost. No one won anything. And I'd just put in all this time on energy for six months just to get a room full of adults to agree on paper that if something is anonymous, it can't tarnish your reputation which we should have been able to get to in the first week because there are a myriad of imprints out there. You have no idea who I was speaking about on those episodes. It was such a waste of time and frankly, really cruel and unnecessary punishment in my opinion to drag out six months what should have been answered in a one-hour conversation in week one. Next questions, do I own my manuscript? Can I give it to a new publisher? I do own my manuscript and... For anyone wondering, this isn't necessarily a given. It sounds insane, but it's not um, unbelievable that they would try to keep it. And my lawyer described this as what's unofficially considered an FU clause. My lawyer said their fear is you take it somewhere else, it's successful, and they look like the schmuck who let it go. So he said this happens in the film industry as well, that people want to kill a project, but they also want to make sure nobody else gets it so they don't 
they don't have regretsy or they don't look silly for passing on it, which is just absolutely wild that that is what's happening to some creators. But I was able, I believe, to get that back pretty early on. It really was this can Hillary speak? That's what the majority of the six months were about. As far as can I give it to a new publisher? I could, but I do not have any interest in doing so. My heart in writing a book was to reach more women as a teacher. And I was willing to take the financial risk upfront to do that, wait a very long time, lots of years to both help those people more and to make that income back. That financial risk, unfortunately, was a loss. So at this point, I could either write the book, I could publish the book, but in order to do that, I would go get a job, uh, you know, have another career, I'd work for someone else. And when that book comes out, not many people are going to read it because I'm doing another job now. So I won't be able to do this podcast, be on Instagram, teach my courses, my community, all the free teachings, because I'm going to have another job. So if I really want to help people, that's this business as a teacher. And that means I have to run the business I've always done for over a decade now, which is video, audio, personal interaction with me, community, updated content that doesn't come out three years later and then isn't updated for the next 20 years. It's just a whole different medium of teaching than a book. So that's what I'm going back to, what I love and what you've loved. And that was always the plan. It was just going to be after the book. So without the book, all that teaching and experience are still there, just with a more intimate community with us. And as I said in a previous episode, I believe we are enough and we will start with us. I'm done waiting three more years and jumping through more hoops just to meet more people. You need this teaching, you are here, and I am bursting to teach it. So that is coming right away in June. You can go to hillaryrushford.com slash waitlist to hear the first details about it, but we are ready. Next question is, why is self-publishing a step down if you get to keep all the money? I want to, again, be really clear about this. I do not want to indicate any disrespect to self-published authors. It's why I didn't want to answer this question in the first place in the part three of the episode, because I just want to be so clear. I'm not saying that I am better than anyone. I'm not looking down on anyone else's choices. I have the utmost respect for anyone who creates something, who puts it out into the world. I do not leave negative reviews. I do not leave negative comments. I just, I, it takes so much courage to put something out there. So I just do not want to be um, misinterpreted in any way. But there's three things in my position. Number one, traditional publishing comes with clout. There is a vote of confidence that the the agent has had to give their sign-off to get you to the publisher who's had to give their sign-off, who's given gets you to the publicist who's had to get their sign-off. So three, quote, heavy hitters, three, quote, important people have to have given you the validity so that by the time your publicist pitches you to the Drew Barrymore show, 
they see that there is all of this validity behind you. And that's how you reach more women is you are in the magazines and on the TV shows and like all of the press at that level is what my vision was and why I did this in the first place to ultimately reach more women. The second reason is distribution. This is the second big reason why you go with a traditional publisher. Self-published books are almost never in your local bookstore, in Barnes & Noble, in Target. Again, because those institutions are taking the, the vetting process from the publishers. So there is a belief that if you were good enough, you would have gone through a traditional publisher and therefore you are good enough to get into our stores. I'm not saying I agree with that. I'm saying this is the industry as it exists today. And again, distribution is how to reach more women, is how to be found in more places than where I would have access to on my own. And number three, quote, all the money is not enough to run a business. There's many different business models and creative models out there. Most authors are not entrepreneurs. But everything you've experienced in my company for over a decade, that's not just me. I have a team in order to give you that, all that it takes technically behind the scenes. One example, let's say in very broad strokes, would be if there's a musician that you love that is playing a local show and during the day they are working their job in finance versus a musician who is on tour and doing press and has merch, the ways that musicians actually make a living doing that as their career, they're with a label and they have a team. Next question, how was it communicated the book wasn't happening? I actually don't really have a memory of this. I think I blacked out. I believe my agent said nothing and then they sent me an email weirdly copying a little clause in my contract that said I had 30 days to reply. It wasn't As in, it wasn't a conversation. It wasn't, hey, Hillary, how are you feeling? What are you thinking? What do you want to do? It was just, by the way, you only have 21 more days to give them an answer, but there was no human conversation back and forth. And so I actually wrote to them and said, what what are your thoughts on the email? Because I was like, this is so bizarre that you're not speaking to me like a human being. What are your thoughts? And they're like, we think you should move ahead with um, with the editor. And I was like, okay, interesting. I just wanted it on paper that you thought I should allow myself to be ghostwritten. And I said, what do you think the cost of that would be? And they gave me a price that I was like, that does not make any sense because this is less money than the private editor that I had been required to hire. And that private editor was brought in because I had a long book. I had like 100,000 words that could have gone into the book. And the book can only be around 60 to 65,000 words. And they said, this is wonderful. Most authors come to us with only 40,000 words. They don't have a very deep book. And then we have to kind of go in and add fluff to make it long enough to count as a book. So we are thrilled that you have so much depth and wisdom on this topic that we actually need to cut it down. But we don't have time to do that, so you need to get somebody to help you figure out what stays and what goes. So they were not writing any of the book. They were just helping me figure out what was most relevant and most needed to the reader. And so I said, you're saying this is going to cost less money than that skill set to rewrite 
the entire book, that does not make sense. And I went to my private editor and I said, would you accept this amount of money for this project? And she said, no. And she talked to her agent. Her agent was like, no, people are not going to do it for that rate. And also they said, we think it'll be easy. It won't take a lot of time. Friend, I, in 11 and a half years in business, I have tried three different times to work with a copywriter, which a lot of people in my industry work with. When you get that email in your inbox, it's not actually written by the person you think it's written by. It's written by a copywriter on their team. Again, zero shade to that. Absolutely makes a lot of sense. But I have tried working with copywriters and also no shade to copywriters. Mad respect for them. But each time when I have run by my copy versus the copywriters, by my marketing director, my business partner, whoever it was, my copy beats theirs two to one. Just for my business, my brand, my voice, someone can't write me better than me. And so I thought if I can't have someone write a one-time email, just write the, the email telling you that the podcast is coming out. If I can't have somebody do that email better than me, a one-time email that is going to get deleted immediately. You think it's going to be easy for me to have them rewrite at, quote, the word-by-word -word level, an entire book that's going to sit there on a shelf for the rest of my life? Like, this is not going to be an easy process. So um, I think then I just stopped speaking to them. And the next thing is they heard from my lawyer and I just never <laughs> spoke to them personally again. It just was so clear to me that there was no more care for me as a writer, what would be best for my business, for my future, for my mental and emotional health. It became just very transactional. We want money out of you. We think you should move forward. We think you should put even more money in despite the fact that they have taken so much money already and delayed your income so much. And that for me was just the tipping point of there's no way in integrity you could be a wise counselor and advise somebody to go through with this without A, asking what they want, and B, acknowledging that it is putting in more risk and they could still not like it or acknowledging it could be a hard process. And I just... That was kind of the, the tipping point of the gaslighting for me. And so I was done. Question, how do you move on after that level of betrayal? You stay single, or at least for quite a while. And I, I hate giving that answer because if it's in the romantic context, I'm not saying that you shut down your heart for forever. But have you ever had friends going through fertility treatments or trying to conceive and they were like, we just need to take a break for a while. Like we just, this is beating us down. I think that's more where I'm at of feeling like I just don't have any more energy to pour into partners that aren't aligned and, um, and, and, and trying to figure out whether or not they're aligned. I'm also being more clear in any partnerships about my values from the start. So remember on that call with them, we didn't talk about the details and the, and the, the nitty gritty. I, I, I won't be allowing that to happen again. That would be required. So for example, we just did hiring recently in my company and I filmed the video that our final candidates saw where I was just very clear. Here is what I'm passionate about. Here's why I believe I'm on the earth. Here's what 
um, the, the full true heart of this business is because I wanted to make sure that anyone who joined our team was fully aligned and had full buy-in to that mission and vision so that there was no walking on eggshells. There was no someone giving me advice and chime in on my internal team that maybe didn't have the same long-term goals. So for me, I believe I am in a season of being done with partnerships for right now. Partnerships in the past for me have been business coaches, business partners, agent publisher, and I feel in hindsight that in each instance, I have been somewhat led astray. And I don't mean that in a blame way. I don't mean that in a bitter way. I actually mean it in a deeper maturity confidence way. And I don't feel I was lacking in confidence at the time. It's also not that I was insecure in those moments. It's that I'm very relational. I love collaboration. I love uh, working alongside with people. I, I want, I have the humility that I want to bring even smarter, better people into the conversation to to elevate everything. I want to grow because I'm around even even better people. So it actually was from a place of humility that I very often brought people into my business. But I had an interaction, I've shared the story on the podcast before. It might be in the first episode of 2020 on Royal Mindset that I talk about this, but at the end of 2019, I parted with my last business partner and um It came out of a conversation where Jeremy and I had this just wild, serendipitous meeting with a CEO that we didn't even know days before, and he just spent hours pouring into us. And I just left physically shaking because I felt, and these are my spiritual beliefs, I really felt like God had used him and spoke through him to say to me, you need to trust yourself. You are putting your trust in man, you are putting your trust in humans instead of trusting yourself, which ultimately means trusting me. And I am calling you to trust me that I will give you the wisdom and the guidance that you need and that you are enough. And it was a, a decision point where I was going to, was I going to join legally with this business partner or not? And I felt like it was a huge red light to not do that despite loving and adoring this person. Again, this is not saying that any of these were were bad people. I still adore that person. I still miss that person. I still wish that person was in my life on a regular weekly basis. But I felt what I was being called to was more ownership. And I did not realize that I'm not saying that I was wrong to get an agent and a publisher or that, you know, God didn't want me down that path, anything like that. But I think it's a similar lesson three years later that I'm feeling called into of with pursuing the traditional publishing route, I had to get into partnership with other people who could lead me astray and I didn't have that full ownership. And I think that's what this season is. For me, my business, my family is saying I I am enough. And it's not a lonely place either when I say you you stay single because y- you're all here. Um, we just don't need permission to talk to each other. We just don't need someone saying, well, you can't give them that teaching for another three years. Just, just do it through me and then you'll be allowed to give us this teaching. And some of us have been friends for over a decade. So I am far from alone. We're enough. And that's where we are today. Next question. Did I ever confront them after the contract ended? No. I am really big on not expending energy 
on people I don't respect. And again, I don't mean that as a, as a diggy like, and I don't respect you. I just mean I had completely lost respect for both the publisher and the agent. So their, their opinions of me I, I had no value. My needing to be right to them had no value. We're going to do a series on friendship this summer, and there's a story that um, that I'll be sharing in that, and it's this same, this same heart where there is someone where people had frequently said to me, how did you not go back to them to want to know what they thought or, or try to get closure? And to me, as soon as I lose the respect, that that is closure. Why would I want to invest any more energy in that rather than going and spending energy in people that I respect? As I said, like I don't, I don't leave negative comments. I don't, I just truly do try to walk the walk that I would rather focus on things that are positive unless I believe they actually are going to come to an outcome of change. And there was no, there was nothing good that was going to come from that situation. It had died. There is nothing good that is going to come from arguing with someone on the internet. Now I will have conversations every once in a while in my DMs when I feel like the other person is is coming from love, is here because they're here from a place of love. It doesn't mean that you're not interested in dialoguing, but you have to believe that it is going to lead to some good. And I think that so often in life, whether it is rehashing things with an ex or an ex-friend or arguing with people on the internet, we're taking our precious energy on this earth and we are just screaming into the void and we're we're burnt out. We aren't where we all want to be on our goals. We're lonely. We don't feel inner peace in our body and our beauties. There's so much for us to be putting energy into. I really want to use my energy wisely to things I think are going to make myself, my life and the world better. And that was going to be none of those. Question, will they listen? Have they reached out? I would be shocked if they listen. I mean, if somebody did a three-part series on how you traumatize their life, you would either have to be masochistic to listen and you're just going to get more angry if you came in riled up. And again, that's just not a wise choice for your life. So I sincerely hope you don't do that. Or you'd have to be at a very evolved place to truly want to hear and be open to change and be like, I really want to hear what their perspective is because maybe while I feel completely in the right, maybe there's something that I didn't learn. And I hope that we can all be at that place. There's moments in time when I'm there, but that takes a lot, right? To really be at that place when again, everybody here lost. Everybody lost time, money, and energy. Nobody was the winner here. So everyone would be, you know, frustrated. Um, They haven't reached out and I hope they don't only because it feels like it would be more drama. Like I would love to be surprised, but I am absolutely not expecting that they would have heard that and thought, oh, we now are going to apologize that we are in the wrong. I mean, I'd love to be surprised, but zero part of my healing is attached to that. I have zero expectations because that feels so unlikely that it would be giving them more power in delaying my healing. If I was thinking, maybe I'll hear from them and then I'll feel better. I do not ever need to speak to them to to feel better. So this was about me talking to you, my friend, 
in my living room, not in the slightest hoping that the person I was talking about was listening in the other room. I do hope that others in the industry listened who weren't as intimately involved and therefore didn't have that defensiveness and realized what they might be able to do better. Like just send an email when you're going to miss your deadline so the other person is empowered to use their time well. Like that's a very simple action item that for the number of friends I've had that have not heard back from their editors, the number of times my agents told me stories about people that didn't hear back from their editors, realizing the importance of taking three minutes to send an email, I think is a reasonable change that I would be absolutely delighted if there were people in the industry that had heard that. But if it was actually about me and, and, and how I didn't send that email and like I ruined their life because they didn't send that email order, it's pretty unlikely that I would change, right? Because I'm just going to be so defensive. But if it's about someone else and I don't feel that shame and attack, then it allows me, like we talked about in last week's episode, where do we go from here to say, I don't want to be that person. I, I'm okay to hear other stories like this. And then in my own maturity and wisdom be say, is there any way in which I am doing that? Am I contributing to that chaos? Even if I'm not in the publishing industry, is there any way that I could be more considerate when I'm collaborating from others? And again, I don't think anyone involved here are inherently awful people. I think there is an industry that is overworked. (laughs) There is an industry model somehow that isn't working. And again, as we talked about in last week's episode, I think each of us, even if we're in an industry that we feel is broken, disorganized, et cetera, then we ask ourselves, can I do something better in my role here? Do I care enough about this industry to fight for the change? Or do I not feel called to this and I should go work someplace else where I feel like I am causing less chaos in the people that I'm working with as everyone tries to support their families. Question, do you feel like you've had closure or will you be sharing this story far and wide, talking on other podcasts about it? I have a four-part answer here. Number one, I have closure. I really, truly have beautiful closure thanks to this series. Number two, I still have questions though. So I'm very interested in hearing from and talking with others because I still don't know my path forward and I know there's a lot of aspiring authors here that that want to know and I don't have a path forward for you either. So anyone who is messaging, uh, emailing books at deanstreetsociety.com or who is passing this along to your friends who are authors, agents, book coaches, publishers, publicists, I still do want to understand because as a lover of books and of authors, I I still am curious about the industry as a whole, the path forward as a whole, while having closure about my own hard story that is now um, a part of my past that I am moving away from. Number three, I'm willing to help others. So I wouldn't silence myself. I wouldn't say I will never speak about this again. But number four, and this is the most important, especially if you have ever felt like you were a victim of something or someone or have experienced trauma or if someone that you love has, no one wants to be the poster child for the worst thing that happened to them. So I understand realistically, it will probably come up if I guest on a certain podcast with an author or an entrepreneur host, but I would rather say, go listen to the story on my podcast because I could not do it justice recapping it but I would rather hear their story or reaction and connect in a different way. I accept that it's part of my story 
but I want to be known not for the bad things other people did to me, but the good things I create and do in the world. And I hope that is true for anyone else if you can relate. And I hope that that helps us to speak of the hard things that have happened to people where we may have to note it in their story, but what we are focusing on therefore is not, oh, I just feel so bad for her that this thing happened and oh, it was just the worst and leaving her in a victim place, but rather saying, yes, and I'm so inspired. I'm so encouraged. It's so beautiful the way that she made it work for good, the way that she spoke and helped others, the way whatever is true of the friend that you're talking about who went through a hard thing, that you don't let that hard thing define them. The, it may be needed to be said in the sentence, but then the emphasis of the conversation is on the beautiful things that they made happen out of it. And that's what we really are focusing on in their life is the good that they are doing since. Question, how many books are ghostwritten? I have absolutely no idea. I'm fascinated to know this as well. All of my friends write their books. It's nev- I've never talked with a friend who had a book that was ghostwritten, but then I'm told it's so common. So I genuinely don't know either. Question, you said your dad is an author. Why couldn't he help you more? So my dad is a professor and being in a university press situation is just completely different. You're looking at the expectation is much lower sales numbers. That's a niche demographic of other historians in your area. They were also both years ago. He's working on his third book right now, but I would imagine, again, it's just a very different scenario. I will say though, one of the things that was hard in this season ending is that for the first time in my career, my parents finally got what I was doing. And I don't know if anyone else can relate. Maybe you were wedding planning or having a baby and then the wedding got called off or you had a late miscarriage and you were in a season where it was actually really beautiful that you were connecting more with family and friends because there was this thing that they understood. They understood the excitement about it. They understood the value of it in culture. And maybe before they didn't really get your career. They didn't really get what you did in business, et cetera. So, you know, there was so much fallout that I couldn't cover in the three-part series, but I think a lot of it was, it was a really beautiful season with my parents and, and I miss that. They, they asked about work more than they ever had because they knew what to ask, not because they were even valuing it more. They just understood, they could just say, how's the book going? And they just understood the elements more than like, they don't know what a webinar is, you know? Um, And the social anxiety, just the number of times that, you know, you, if you called off a wedding, like you hate people asking if you're single, if you are struggling with infertility, you hate people asking, do you want kids? If you've gone through a work trauma like this, you hate people asking what you do for work. It's just too painful. And so you become, I really truly have had social anxiety for the first time in my life where I've like felt a panic attack or like burst into tears at the idea of having to go and be in a social environment or go someplace with new people or even go someplace with with friends I haven't seen in a while that might ask. And then also the reverse. Then sometimes I've been with dear friends who haven't asked 
And it's because they don't know whether or not to ask or not, right? They're trying to be sensitive, but sometimes you're like, oh gosh, we went through the whole day and they never asked. Like they're the few people I actually would have talked to about it. So the the personal relational fallout, um, not relational as in like I lost relationships, but the the impact um, was just another big area that I, I didn't even touch on in those episodes. Question, as someone who wants to write a book, will you please, all capitals, tell us who you worked with to protect us? Number one, no. That's because I need to put on my oxygen mask first. I need to protect myself and we all do. So it may not be safe for you to talk about your abuser, let's say, if you were in a different scenario. And yes, others in the meantime might be put in harm's way, but you have to do what you need to do to survive first. And that is not selfish because we need you in this world. We need your work in this world. And that means you do have to put on your own oxygen mask first. And so for me to tell you to protect you would mean I am completely legally unsafe And I have now sacrificed my life for yours, and none of us are called to that. And again, the reason I'm saying that is for anyone else in a scenario who feels guilt that they aren't speaking up, whether because they've agreed legally not to or whether because they just don't feel safe, it is not selfish. We all have to put on our own oxygen mask first. Second, though, in this scenario, As I said in part two, and I gave you a whole laundry list of examples to make sure you knew this, it is irrelevant that you know who I worked with because I have heard all of these stories with other agents or imprints from my colleagues or my agents. So if it was truly that I thought there was just two bad apples that I'd worked with, it was just my my imprint and my agency, then I just would have moved on and gotten a new imprint and agency. The reason I don't know the path forward is because I know what I experienced while all of my factors together are like cataclysmic and no one's had that much-ish go wrong at once. Everybody knows elements of that that have happened and I'm seeing it in my inbox. So that's why I hate that I don't have a positive path forward for you. I did a Reels recently I'll, I'll post it in the description that I I filmed the night that I shared I had book news coming and your responses were so sweet that it just like hit me in a new way. I just sat on my floor for 20 minutes and cried and I, I edited it down to a shortened version of that video that I just, I was so sad that I didn't have a positive, encouraging ending for you because I know there's so many more of you here, whether you want to write a book or just pursue your own dream, I hate that the answer is it, it it dies sometimes. It doesn't work. It can be unsafe. It can be scary. Um, and by the way, I want to say somebody left a comment thanking me for how I do the descriptions. They were like, I'm a new podcast listener in the last few weeks and I've never seen someone do descriptions in a podcast as well as you do. And I love them, even when you're like throwing back to what's happening on Instagram. And I said, thank you so much, because I don't think anyone has ever told me that they particularly like that, but it is exactly what I want on an episode. And again, it's because for me, this is a dialogue. And so we are talking over on my Instagram feed and in Instagram stories and in the garden party, that's where we're dialoguing. And then the depth 
is here on the podcast and in my paid programs. And we we need both. We can't just be hanging out on Instagram or we're not going to get any depth. But if we're just here getting the depth on the podcast and we're not dialoguing, then this is a monologue and not a relationship. Uh, second to last question. After all this, what's your new next business goal, at least for the time being? It is to get you the teaching of what makes women feel beautiful in the format I always envisioned was coming after the book anyway, which is video, audio, worksheets, cheat sheets, community, coaching. You can get inspired by a book. I love books. But we rarely change our lives from reading a book. We love the ideas, but we rarely live them out. And I have experienced this so often in my life where I love a book, but I can tell you very few details actually of it. And I can very rarely say my life is actively different because I read that book and here's the 12 steps that I then took from it. We do that. We make that real true life change in programs, courses, communities, retreats, with structure, accountability, support, momentum, reminders, and all the multidimensional elements of adult learning retention and statistically proven life change that are why most of us can't tell you that much about a self-help book we loved a month later. I could tell you more about Prince Harry's memoir, Spare, I could remember more details of a story. I could tell you more of the plot of a novel. But in order for me to really be able to walk you through the path to change in a book, it's not going to come from a book. And so I am so excited that that is not another two years down the road. It is right now. Final question. Will you also be transparent about your comeback because it's about to get abundantly good? Thank you so much. I absolutely hope you're right. And I feel like I am pretty transparent about everything unless there's not a good reason, unless there's a good reason not to be at the time. Like this book story, you now understand why I was not transparent during that time when I was legally silenced. And I have a few other stories that I'll be sharing in the coming months that for various reasons I haven't yet. And like this one, I'll explain at the time why that was and you'll understand. But I do share most in the garden party because it's private and I know exactly who's hearing. And I know that there is going to be no trolling back, um, which is shocking sometimes to me. Even in stories, I will get a DM from someone that doesn't even follow me, that sent me a mean DM two years ago, who doesn't follow me, but clearly comes over every like every day just to watch my stories and wait until I say something that they don't agree with and is going to like come and attack me. I know that's not happening in the garden party because I know everybody there is growth-minded and has has opted in. There's no silent lurkers. So I share the most um, transparently and privately over there and then in stories because that is mostly, aside from this weird stalker girl, people like that, um, it is mostly what I call the VIP crew because what I post on my feed is going to get a lot more eyes. If you look at 
how many people see it versus how many people are followers. A lot of people see your content that aren't actually followers. They aren't in relationship. They aren't a part of our community here. But in stories, again, unless you're being a weirdo stalker, you only see stories of people you are already following. So that means you're part of this community. So stories is the second place that I share most honestly. And then here on the podcast in the most depth. So if you want to join us in the garden party, you will have a chance this June, which is in two days when this goes live. Oh my gosh, it's almost June. So when What Makes Women Feel Beautiful opens as a teaching and experience with the community existing within the garden party. You will be able to join us there as part of it. But first, we have a new episode this week, also inspired by you in the last couple of weeks, and I am so honored to be in a relationship with you, humbly learning and growing together and leading a community of such bright, kind, curious individuals that just want to be better and make the world a little better at the same time. I'm so grateful you are here. Hit subscribe, come over to Instagram, share with a friend, and I will see you back here on our regularly scheduled You're Welcome Wednesday with grace and gumption. Till next Wednesday.